I'm Sarah Brown, and this is Gnosis, the podcast where no topic is off limits, but it's always in the outer limits. everybody. Welcome to any new listeners that we might have, and thank you so much to anyone who's returning today. Today is an incredibly special episode that's very close to my heart. As promised at the beginning of the year, I want to share more about who I am with you, and nothing explains more about me than my family. My mother is a Virginia native, and her family still lives back east. Every year since I can remember, we've traveled across the country to visit them, And it's likely that in my 26 years that I've spent over two years at least in Virginia. It's my happy place, the place I go when I need to be reminded of who I am, and of course, home to half my family. On my last trip to Virginia, I was lucky enough to record some amazing stories from my grandfather about some seriously, deeply spiritual dreams that he's had over the course of his lifetime. Ever since I was little, I remember my grandpa telling us stories about his deceased family members who came to him in a dream. They would appear to him and give him messages that were so coincidental that they truly can't be considered coincidences anymore. And there's never been any doubt in my mind that his dreams were anything less than a form of spiritual communication. Now, apologies in advance because... There is occasionally a tiny bit of background noise. While Grandpa and I were recording, my family was having one of their boisterous conversations, but it's infrequent and his story is definitely worth the listen. How do you want to be introduced on the show? Retired from Delta Airlines, customer service supervisor, and... My name is Ben, in parentheses, Sal Salyers. I've been known as Sal Salyers since 1960 when I went in the military. Mm-hmm. And having a long name, everybody would shorten your name. And one of my friends from Beckley, West Virginia, he came over to my bunk one day and said, Hey, Sal, how are you doing today? And somebody heard him say that, and everybody just started calling me Sal. And it just stuck, you know, and I just thought, well, that's a whole lot easier to live with than somebody calling me Doris. Because uh, that's the name that you were born with. Yeah, it was very painful experience all my life. Um, when I started the school, uh, first day at school, I had to fight over that name. And uh, I was smaller than everybody else. And most of the time, I lost most of my fights, except a couple of them I won viciously. I learned to fight dirty. And I would never change my name because I didn't want to hurt my mother's feelings. But I went to the DMV to get me a new driver's license, and I had to take my birth certificate. I thought it was a birth certificate, but it was a record of birth. I didn't have an official... uh, certified copy of my birth certificate. 
but they left out one R out of my name, and it was just spelled D-O-R-I-S. And of course, that I always used D-O-R-R-I-S in my name. That's what my mother had told me it was. So I, they just told me that this won't work. You've got to go to court to change, to put that R in your official name or else you cannot get a real ID that will get you on a flight. I could never bring myself to go and change my name, and I had already got the papers, the application from the court a couple of years ago. So when that happened, I thought, well, you know, since I got to go to court, I'm going to change my name. And I didn't know how my mother would feel about it, and I was concerned. But when I went to the clerk of the court that day, I felt really, really good about it. I felt like, no, my mother would not be upset at me for changing my name. And I had thought before, since my name is Doris Benton, that I would just change it to Ben. And I was reading about Benjamin, the name Benjamin. And Benjamin means someone who is living a life so that he can sit on the right hand of God. And I thought, you know, I always wanted to be a holy man. And I think that really fits my whole thinking is I want to live so that I can sit on the right hand of God. And so that's why at 77 years old, I named myself Benjamin. You've had a very interesting spiritual journey, I feel like. You grew up in a church, and then you joined the army, and then you found a different church. Can you tell me a little bit about your history and your different spiritual times of life and what led you to where you are now? I went to church. I didn't have a choice for all my life up until I was about 13 years old. And I didn't want to go to church anymore, and they couldn't force me to go to church, and I didn't go to church. So from the time I was about 14 until 18, when I went in the service, doing a lot of things that wasn't very nice. I was doing things I could go to jail for, but I was doing mostly harm to my own physical body. When I met Laban, my family were members of the Assembly God Church, which was a Pentecostal church, and Levon's family was members of the Primitive Baptist Church. And so my family and people who knew me in their neighborhood, their mountain on Road Ridge, almost everybody was Pentecostal. The mountain on Redroot Ridge, where Levon grew up, Almost everybody was primitive Baptists. Mm. So they weren't too fond of each other. <laughs> you just didn't mix mm. Pentecostal Assembly of God people with uh, people who belonged to the primitive Baptists because the primitive Baptists didn't believe in a literal hell. Mm. So they were called no hellers. And that was bad <laughs> if you didn't believe in hell. So. When I met her, and within two weeks, uh, I asked her to marry me. That's fast. 
that fast. <laughs> but I knew. And she didn't say yes, wasn't sure if she wanted to marry me. After about, it was almost a year of dating, I was just so madly in love with her and her with me. We had a big fight that night and the next day, and then the next day we got married. <laughs> and I had $40 to my name when I came home. I was, I was struggling just to survive, and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, but I've got to do this. I'm going to marry that girl. Okay, so you two are married. Were you going to church at all when you were first married? No, we did not. Levon became pregnant with your mother, Denim. We started thinking about, well, maybe we ought to go to church. But every time I would talk to my father, he said, you need to find a church to go to. You cannot raise a child without going to church. So he just wouldn't shut up. So we visited this is after Danelle was born. We visited three or four churches, but it just didn't feel right. A friend of ours lived in another apartment building, and their neighbors next door, they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they asked our friend, why don't you come over and this evening and meet the missionaries from our church? So they did. And Bill was really impressed with the missionaries. And he said, you got to come over and hear these missionaries. So we did. We didn't have anything else to do and no money. So we went over and we heard what they had to say. And I don't remember what they had to say, but they wanted to know if they could come to our apartment and teach us. So they did. They came and they taught all the discussions so we didn't have air conditioning. And I can still remember those missionaries sitting there in their suits, never take their coats off, and sweat was just dripping off their faces. They were teaching a lesson about how the gospel is structured and the foundation of the church is built on Jesus Christ. And then you have apostles and prophets. And... Uh, that was the thing that really got my attention, and I think was it was key to my conversion. But my father would tell me all the reasons why the church was not right thing. No, don't you get involved with those Mormons. That's not good. So finally, I told the missionaries that don't come back because I'm not ready to do this. So I waited over two years, but during that two-year period of time, I would find when a question came up about the gospel of Jesus Christ that the opinions I expressed were what the Mormons believed and not what I had been taught in my church as a child. And I found out that those really were my beliefs. My father kept telling me, you can't raise a child without taking her to church. So I wanted to please him, but so we're about two, over two years later. So I said, told Levon, I said, we need to go to church. And I would rather go to the Mormon church. 
And she said, okay. Yvonne took her for a longer time to agree. I was ready then. But Brother Miller told me that, no, you should wait for her to get baptized together. So finally she agreed, and then on April 27th, 1968, we were baptized. Can I say it was easy? No. It was very hard. There were many times I wanted to quit. I wanted to just walk out and never go back. There was one time that I missed church deliberately because I said, I'm not going to go back. But it just killed me. There was something aching inside of me. I just, I knew that that's where I wanted to be, and I had to do it. I knew it was true. I couldn't deny it. My actions and my performance and my church duties may not please some people, but I feel like that on many occasions that God has indicated to me that he was pleased that I'm always trying, that I want to be more than anything. I tell people, I'm not as smart as some people, but what I want to be is a holy man. I want to root out all evil from me and that I can stand before God when my time comes and, and say, I am clean. I like hearing that it was hard because I feel like, like I'll go through different periods of my life where it's like really easy to go to church and like I'm really involved. And then I'll go through times in my life where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, why did, why did I decide that this was a good idea? It might have been hard for me to believe like that, except I would always get on my knees and before I went to bed and pray, and I'd pray and ask God to let me know if this was real or not. One night, I had done that. In this dream that I had, I was back home working on my father's farm. My dad, when we were working there, it would come severe thunderstorms and he would not let us leave until the rain was pouring down. We worked right up until the rain was coming down in buckets. So in my dream, I remember a place we called the flat. And I didn't know how I got there, but I'm just looking and there's just beautiful black clouds just all over the sky is just filled with black clouds. And I'm looking toward the, it was kind of a little place that we called the Gap. And there was a big oak tree there. And as I'm looking there, and all of a sudden, this man is approaching me. And it was Christ. I knew it immediately it was Christ. And he was dressed with a red vest and all like that and some white underneath. And uh, I'm thinking, what an experience here in this field where I had worked so many days in a great thunderstorm because there black clouds overhead like it was going to be awful. And we spoke without using words. 
I've heard other people talk about this, but without me having to speak to him, I was communicating to him, I want to know if this is true and this is what I should do. And without using words, he communicated to me that this was true. So from that day forward, I never ever wondered if it was true again. Because, and some people say it was just a dream. And I say, no, it wasn't just a dream. It was, it was as real as if I'm sitting here talking to you, that he was there. And I hear people say, well, I've never seen Christ, but I really believe, I believe that he lives and I know he lives. And my testimony to you is, I know he lives. I know because the Spirit bears witness to me that he lives. But I saw him. That was not the only occasion that I saw him. There had been other occasions when I saw him. And it was a real experience. Why I had that experience, I don't know. Perhaps I wasn't strong enough to have joined the church and to stayed without such a testimony. But I did, and I'm just so grateful. And I still don't understand what the experience was been back in a field where I spent much of my childhood working those fields and we worked and the storms and everything I don't know I don't know what that meant except maybe that's what life is going to be like it's going to be filled with storms that are going to almost sometimes destroy you but hang on to your faith and you'll be alright you'll get through this but I've had other experiences too that where I saw him. I want to go back to um, the experience before when you were top, talking like telepathically with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You were having that experience. Did it make you feel like that's how like celestial beings communicate? I have wondered about that, and I've wondered um, because. I remember uh, the first dream I had about my sister-in-law who passed away. We were actually using words to communicate that I was talking to her, and I asked her when I saw her, because she had been dead a few months, and I saw her, and she was dressed in this beautiful blue dress, light blue dress, and she looked really pretty. And her hair was golden blonde, and... I didn't remember her having golden blonde hair because her and my brother got married when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I spoke to her, and it was in a, a city, a place that it was really a beautiful place, and I didn't know where I was at. It wasn't any place I was familiar with. I said, Gaynell, I said, how are you doing? But she was speaking to me like person to person. Okay. And... She said, well, everybody says I'm doing really good. And without saying anything, I got the impression that she was like going to school. 
She was in a learning process, a learning center, that she was been schooled for something. Then she paused and she said, but, and she never said any more words to me, but I felt a communication from her that she told, was telling me why she was said, but. And because my brother was grieving himself to death, I mean, he was just, it, his heart was broken more than any human being I've ever seen when their spouse died. But she was, as if she was still speaking to me, but she wasn't saying any words. Yeah. But previous to that, so my own personal feeling, if I had to tell you a, what I thought, I thought in the spirit world, I think it it can be either. Yeah. I think, and but I think it happens here in this earthly life. Many times that Levon, I'll be thinking something and she will tell me the words that I just thought. It happens to both of us. Yeah. And that actually happens to me and mom. It's funny because she will get like a really tight jaw and then she'll call me and she'll tell me about it. And I've had a tight jaw the entire day and I can't explain it, but it's like we have the same feelings at the same time sometimes. It makes me feel like based on your dream and like how you've had these things in your lifetime happen, it makes me feel like it's kind of practice for when we become spiritual beings like that. And then that's like, like you were saying, your sister-in-law, she spoke to you in words, but then it was like something she had learned was teaching her how to communicate with emotion instead of words too. Well, when I had that first dream about her and my brother hadn't had any dreams about her, it made me feel kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to tell him about it because I didn't know how he would, where he just think i am got a case of stupidity or what, you know. But several years before that, my brother had written all these stories about his courtship and all that. And I had just thrown it in a basket in there, in a big envelope. And one day I just happened to look in there and I picked it up and I started to read it. And he said, I looked out there on the hillside and there she stood with her golden hair just glowing in the sunshine. And he said, I said to myself, I'm going to marry that girl. They got married and... Uh, they were always fiercely in love, that one child. Now, what are the odds of me having that dream? And I can't, and my sister is older than me, didn't ever remember her having golden blonde hair. But in that, I saw her with that golden blonde hair, and I know her hair is golden blonde. I had like five dreams about her over a period of a year. And uh, so after I read, what he had written about her golden blonde hair, then I told him, and I told him about the other dreams that I had about it. And I think that it, it made it a lot easier for him 
I'm not saying I was a messenger or something like that. Other people may have had similar dreams about her. But he was real comfortable talking to me about her after that because he knew that I couldn't have known that. And I had never read that. I had those papers for four or five years and had never, just never got around to reading them. My sister gave them to me. And... Yeah, that coincidence is too big to, like, be ignored. How many dreams where someone came and, like, an ancestor or a family member came to you and talked to you do you think you've had? Everybody who died in my family since I've been born, I've had dreams about. I've only had two family members die. My grandpa, Brown, Uh and... Uncle Ed. Right. Um, when Ed died, I don't know if I told you this. No. I had, because, I mean, he committed suicide, so it was really tragic when he died. But when he died, I had a dream about him maybe a week after he died. And he came to me, and he looked like he did in all of his pictures when he first married Aunt Deanne. And... Um, I mean, Ed was a really, he was like a very funny, funny person in his life. Um, but he came to me and he was really, really serious. Like I've never seen him so serious before. And he told me that he was sorry about what he'd done and that he's not the same person that he was when he was on earth, that things are different. And that's the only dream I've ever had about someone who's passed away. But I feel like I know what you mean when these things are so, so much like real life. I don't remember talking to him either. I feel like it was like, just like he and I communicating without words. Mm. Um, But that's always actually made me feel really, really connected to you in a way where it's like, I've grown up hearing about you having these dreams, and then I've only ever had one, but it was a really, really important experience for me. Well, one of my first memories of seeing anybody who had passed away in my family was my uncle, James Arthur Sawyers. We knew him as Jim. He lived about 150 yards from us when I was growing up. Sometimes after he died, I don't know how long it was, but I had a dream about him, and I was in a strange city that it wasn't any place I recognized that I had been before. And I was like walking through a park, and I looked up, and I saw him, and he was dirty, like he'd been working in the coal mines. He had coal dirt on him, had his dinner bucket in his hand, and I looked at him, and I said, Jim? Is that you? And he said, yes, it is. He said, you you know what today is? And I said, no. He said, I've been dead a year today. But it had been two years hmm. since he had died. Don't know why he told me. How old were you when you had that dream? Oh, uh, maybe 40. But after my brother James died... The first time I saw him, um, 
I'm in this room with him, and he looks at me, and he said, Dad says you are a cleaniac. A cleaniac? <laughs> and I said, and I looked at him kind of puzzled, and that was the end of the dream. And I thought, is there such a word as cleaniac? And I told Mark, I hadn't looked, I didn't Google it. But Mark said, Dad, there's no such word as cleaniac. <laughs> when he Googled it, he got nothing. I said, well, I ought to do that myself. So when I looked up the word cleaniac, there's a little place in Iowa, it's called Marshalltown, Iowa. They're famous for making cement working tools. I remember as a little child, my dad had uh, a big trowel that you lay brick with, and it said Marshalltown on it. And uh, anyway, in Marshalltown, Iowa, some years ago, they came up with a Cleaniac Award. And for people who, they wanted people to fix up their properties and be really clean. They wanted their town to be known as a nice, clean, beautiful, small town. So they started, the town government started giving out an award for individuals or businesses who really fix up their property, and they call it the Cleaniac Award. So my brother says that my dad says that I am a Cleaniac. Now what are the odds of him coming up with that word and telling me I'm a cleaniac and nobody in the country or the world uses the word cleaniac except Marshalltown, Iowa. My brother James, he came and stayed with us for about four days once uh, when he came back from uh, Wyoming. And... Uh, I think he'd been telling the others in the family that how clean I was and how I worked to keep the house clean. But anyway, he said, Dad says that you are a cleaniac. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> but, you know, I love yeah. getting the cleaniac award from my dad. <laughs> uh, so you've done a lot of genealogy work, and you love genealogy work. Why do you feel like it's so important to connect with our ancestors some people like have information yeah and i just i like having family yeah. i like there's like lavon's mother and her family i love their family too you know i mean they're uh a difference in having uh what is a Ancestor or a relative, an ancestor your blood kin to, a relative is through marriage or some other way that you're related to somebody, but you're not blood kin, but an ancestor your blood kin. Uh, I feel like there's, a, there's something there. My grandfather, Charles Henry Salyers, my dad's father, he told me about that one time. My dad was not your typical uh, Pentecostal assembly guy person. 
he was different. And he told me about his father. He said, my father never went to church. But he said, and, and my grandfather Sawyer's was a wagoneer. He hauled freight into Kentucky. And a wagon and a big, I think two big teams of horses, four horses, pulling a big freight wagon across that mountain because they used to call that the Grundy Road or the Kentucky Turnpike. And now they call it, that's how you get your mail on the Kentucky Turnpike now, on Road Ridge. But in those days, and that's how he met my grandmother, because he was a wagoneer. And uh, when she met him, her father would put up wagoneers. They'd be looking for someplace, because it was a long, hard trip from Richlands, just to get to Road Ridge. And they would be looking for someplace that somebody would put them up and feed them and I don't know if they slept in their wagons, they probably did, but somebody would feed them and, and feed their animals. People on the mountain there that went to church, and most everybody went to church, but my grandfather never went to church, as far as I know. And Dad said that people would ask different people along the way, uh, can you put us up for the night, wagoneers? And, be like, and several of them had traveled together for protection. And they would say, no, but if you go out to Henry Sawyer's, he'll put you up. Who do you think is it more righteous, the people that went to church all the time, or the people like my grandfather who wouldn't turn anybody away and he put them up? So my dad had a kind of different feeling about that because he had watched that. I don't think my great-grandfather, who he lived with and who taught him everything he knew, an old Civil War soldier, James Reeve Cordell, I don't never ever heard anybody talk about him going to church either. But people everywhere loved him because he was a good and gentle and kind man. What do you think are the important things then? Important things for us to do yeah. as human beings traveling through this mortal life is be kind, be kind, be kind. I want everybody to experience the tender mercies of God. And I really believe that for most people, even the bad people, they respond to human kindness. You can't threaten, you can't pass enough laws. It doesn't make people better people. Only kindness can touch another human heart to make them feel good and make them want to be better. But I used to, I just I used to look at people walking in the terminal, meeting people, walking beside of me. And I would just say a prayer for that person, and they would turn and look at me. And I wasn't looking at them. And they would turn and look at me and smile. That I did that. So there's a human connection there that I think most humans don't understand. I think 
It's not that I'm a very super spiritual person I want to be, but I think that is a level of spirituality that is available to all of us. That if we can just bring ourselves to reach out. Because you can do things for people, but you do it, you're doing it because you're supposed to. But if you do it because you really love your fellow man, and I mean that you, if you say you really love your fellow man, is if you feel kindness toward them without any reason for you to feel kind toward them. Just accept that that is how God wants us to be, yeah. to feel kind toward people. I like that. I feel like it's making me feel like that telepathic connection that you're having in your dreams again. It's like people can feel when you have genuine feelings towards them. It's like on a certain level, we all have like an amount of empathy and like it's like something we can tap into and like communicate through our feelings. Mm-hmm. I like that. What is the craziest, most wild belief that you have? The wildest belief that I have? Yeah. I don't have any wild beliefs. <laughs> You're all very sensible. Life, all my beliefs are sane. <laughs> um, they've been tested over the years. Some things I didn't know why I believed, why I felt that way. And my experience have taught me that those those feelings were true. That to give you for uh, instance, about five years ago we had terrible tornadoes that came through here. The worst ones that in my lifetime ever came through here. Killed several people and destroyed a lot of houses and buildings, whatever. And the day that happened, it was in April, and I was out in the garage working on something, building something. And I would see squirrels running around, planting oak trees and my maple trees and running across the roof and whatever, and they were just cute little people. And that particular day, it was like, Two or three squirrels that ran up to the edge there. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, right up to the edge of the door. And uh, the little rubber strip that goes on the cement. And they stopped there, and they started squawking. Have you ever heard a squirrel squawk? No. It's it's almost like they're talking. <sighs> and they and I didn't, I've never ever heard them. In the 27 years I lived here, the only time that they've ever done that. And they started like they were talking to me, and pretty soon there was like five or six of them just there in a little group close together. And they're all just like yelling at me, you better get ready. And I, I thought, this is really something. And so they ran away. And about 30 minutes later, Several of them came back again, and they did the same thing, delivering some type of message to me. And I told Lamont about it when I came in. I said, 
I don't know, Laban, I said, maybe something bad is about to happen. And that night, we were watching the local TV station, and they said, the, the weatherman said, folks, right now there's six tornadoes on the ground in Abingdon at one time that we're tracking. Oh, my gosh. And I said, Laban, we better go in there and get in the closet right now. She said, no, Sal. I'm going to sit here in my rocking chair, and if i got to go, I'm going in my rocking chair. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought she was crazy. <laughs> no, that was crazy. Yeah. And it was really, really loud. I mean, it, you know, uh, three miles from here over on the creeper trail, it took off trees that were like 20 inches in diameter. It just tore them off like matchsticks, you know, like 20 feet up, and it just wiped out a whole group over there. And then on up the road about 20 miles, it destroyed a lot of stuff, businesses, churches, houses. But that experience with those squirrels, I had never experienced that with any kind of animal in my life. But I have no doubt that they came to see me that day. Um, even if I had been a hunter, maybe they would have come and done that. But I have a kindness, a kind feeling toward animals like that. I care about them. And I feel like that they were returning that caring feeling that they want to show me that something is about to happen. I love that. I feel like a lot of people feel like animals are more sensitive to things that are going on around us. But I've never heard a story where animals are like like squirrels, like animals that don't have like a connection like you and a dog with you right. coming to warn you about something. Like to me, I feel like that really emphasizes how connected we all are to each other. Right. I love that story. I know you try to be a deeply spiritual person, and I feel like you are. I, when I was in college and I was, I wasn't going to church very much, and I was making other choices, I came to Virginia and just being with you and grandma, it, it really helped me. It grounded me. It made me feel like closer to God than I had been in a really long time. And so I really appreciate that and all that you do for our family. I really love you. I love you too. We've always loved you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gnosis, and thank you to Joseph McDade for letting us use his song, Olympus. If you're a fan of the show, help us spread the word by leaving a review with lots of stars. For any feedback, stories, or ideas, please email me at thegnosispodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thegnosispodcast. Additional information on our guests can always be found in the show notes. Until next time, 
keep exploring those spiritual mysteries.